Good morning, everyone. Let's talk about what peace actually is. Peace is not the absence of struggle. Peace is not perfection. It's not the absence of conflict. Do you know what peace is? Peace is trusting in the unfailing love of God and believing that his presence lives inside of you and resting in that presence. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give today to you. We thank you for your power and your presence today, and we say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week, we discovered that the Prince of Peace brings us the gospel of peace and ushers in a kingdom of peace, right? And we recognize the fears. You remember, what does fear whisper? Does anybody remember? Fear whispers What if? What if? What if something bad happens? What if you lose everything? But the peace of God flows out of the love of God, and we know that perfect love casts out all fear. So 1 John 4, let's remind ourselves of that. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. God's in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. Remember that for later. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So this centers our definition of peace. And we said peace is resting in love's authority over fear. We discussed two kinds of peace. Peace with God, which happens through reconciliation, right? And then the peace of God, which is not resisting, but resting in love's authority over fear. Now, this would be the end of it if you lived alone on planet Earth. But introducing people, right? 7.7 billion people and counting. Which takes us to the very next verse of 1 John 4, which says, We love because he first loved us. We are able to love all the people because he first loved us. Today we're going to learn about a third kind of peace, peace with others. And this command from God will apply to every person, every relationship, every situation that we can come across, any conflict in your life, peace. Peace doesn't happen automatically. You ever been in traffic? Ever been around a set of siblings? Ever watched the news? Right? There's conflict and confrontation in this world. And in order to have peace, you know what you need to do first? You need to put the peace in yourself, right? You can't give away what you don't have. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first, and you can help somebody else. We need peace first. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to listen to last week's message. It was all about the peace of God. Go and find another peace message. Go and read love scriptures. Go and lay down your fears before the Lord and trust him to help you. We need his peace. Today we're learning about how to take that peace and let it flow through us, out of our eyes and our lips and our fingertips to other people. We're going to start 
with a prophetic passage that anyone who is at home life this week will be very familiar with. Isaiah 9, here we go. You know if you start in Isaiah, mm, it's going to be a rich message, don't you? This is a favorite. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Does anyone want to sing these verses? Handel's Messiah. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen? The Prince of Peace, who makes peace between us and God through the reconciliation, through his blood. The Prince of Peace, who makes peace within us through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you. Who's this peacemaker? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, and he calls us to be peacemakers. So one way to be more like Jesus is to listen to his words and do what he said. Let's, let's try it. Here we go. Now, the most quoted verse about peacemakers is something that Jesus said, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5, which we know is the Sermon on the Mount, and this particular passage we call the Beatitudes, which means blessings. And Jesus often teaches in parables, but here he speaks in the style of a lot of psalms and proverbs. So, for example, Proverbs 3, there's a verse that says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. This is the pattern that Jesus uses when he is listing these blessings. And uh, we'll read um, the one about peacemakers. Of course, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But to get a fuller picture, let's read all eight of the Beatitudes in context. Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and began. he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I want you to notice something very cool about the Beatitudes. The first four describe the condition of our spirits. We're poor, we're mournful, meek, hungry, and thirsty. That's where we're at. And they describe how God responds with the blessing of more of him. And then the second four describe how we're to model God's example. He fills us and blesses us, and now we're to respond this way to others. So let's look at them side by side. When we were poor in spirit and sinful and lost, he reconciled us back to him through his death which is the single greatest act of mercy of all time. So blessed are those who remember the mercy that they've been given and give that mercy to others. When we mourned at 
the pain and the death in this world, a perfect and blameless son exchanged his comfort for our sorrow. And he defeated suffering for us. So blessed are those who treat the suffering with a pure heart. When we humble ourselves enough to accept what Jesus has done, Jesus meets our humility with his humility. Do you know what his humility is? It's when all the glory and all the sacrifice come together and creates a gentleness that is so powerful, it restores brokenness. So he says, blessed are the ones who gently restore others. When we recognize that only God quenches the hunger and thirst inside of our souls, and that he is the righteousness that fills us, he says, blessed are the ones who share the good news and nurture the hungry and the thirsty, no matter the cost. Jesus is such a ninja with his words. Isn't he a ninja with the way that he speaks? Because these are not lofty, individual platitudes. He is reminding us of where we've been and calling us to be like him. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, how can you not show mercy when I've shown you all the mercy, right? He's saying, how can you not act sacrificially when I sacrificed everything? How can you create division when I've come to restore and bring unity? How can you bring condemnation when I have never, ever, ever condemned you? Jesus sums up all eight blessings the same way he sums up the Ten Commandments with a new command. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. What kind of love? The while we were still sinners, mercy filled, lay down your life kind of love. And Jesus is very serious about us following in his footsteps because people's lives are at stake. He commands we respond to others the way he's responded to us. And he makes this point in a spine-tingling parable found in Matthew 18. Peter came to Jesus, said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. And the master called in his servant, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart, to whom much has been given, much is required. Jesus gives us everything, and then he expects that we do likewise. So let's be who Jesus is to us. Let's be that. Let's act like that. Let's speak like him, respond like him, bring peace like him, and never forget that peace flows from love. Love is the prerequisite of peace. So where where you're not able to have peace to someone or something, it's because that's where your love stops. Where your love stops is where your understanding of God's love also stops stop short. Now the blessings that come from accepting him and obeying him are extraordinary. So some of the Beatitudes, the blessings are um, inheriting the earth, right? Being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Seeing God, seeing God. But check out the blessing of a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So the blessing attached to being a peacemaker is the blessing of identity. You've been given a new identity. Peacemakers are called children of God. In Romans 8, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The peacemaker has called us to be peacemakers because as his children, we should look like him. But we're not born into this world looking like him. Mm -mm. So let me explain something to you. Uh, Every person, every person on the planet is God's creation, right? Every soul is deeply, unconditionally loved by God, everybody. But being a child of God is conditional. So let's look at John 3, 16. It says, you know it, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world, unconditional, awful world, terrible people, God loves. What does it say? Whoever believes, whoever believes. 
So life in him is conditional because God, out of his love, gives us a choice. He's not an evil dictator making people do anything. God, out of his love, gives us a choice. In John 1, it says, The light came to his own people. His own people didn't welcome him, but those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children. Born not from blood, nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. So the condition of being a child of God is accepting him, right? Believing him, trusting in him as your Lord and your Savior, and that makes him your father and you his son and daughter. Isn't that amazing news? Isn't that a gift? So let's remember, Jesus unconditionally loves every person on this planet, and he wants you to love people like he loves people. Why? Because God expects more from you because you're his kid. God expects more from us because we're his kid. You ever heard your parents say, I expect more from you? Do you remember them ever saying that? I expected more from you than this. Let me tell you something. If there's a group of fifth graders writing ugly things on a bathroom wall, my fifth grader better not be one of them. Because I expect more from my kid. I've taught my kid better than that, right? I don't hold other kids to the standard of my kid. I expect more because I've taught. And God expects more from us because he has shown us not only better, he's shown us best. He's taught us best. That's why he expects more. Now, um, we also know we're his kids and he expects more because do you know he goes as far as to tell us what to wear? Did your parents ever tell you what to wear when you were a kid? Did your parents ever like lay out your clothes and tell you to wear that? And you didn't want to wear that? You did not experience this growing up? Um, my mom was very particular what we wore, especially on Sunday mornings. Um, for the fun of nostalgia, this might as well be a picture of me and my little sister Lindsay in the late 80s. Um, and I want to show this pic because it reminds me of a particular pair of white tights with pink hearts stitched in them. I hated these tights. They just were sandpaper. They were made of 100% sandpaper, and they itched, and I was miserable, and I would put them on. I would, Mom, please, Mommy, please don't make me wear these tights. Mommy, please, I don't want to wear them. And she would say, Melissa, pain is beauty. And I didn't know what that meant, and I didn't care because I was miserable. But I'll tell you this. She cared because she said I was a reflection of her, and she wanted me to look my best even though I didn't care how I looked. And because of her standard, at least on Sunday mornings, I always looked my best. And God wants us to look his best. He wants us to look our best. Why? Because we are a reflection of him. You're always reflecting something. Let's be a reflection of him. Now, today I'm wearing a shirt. It says peacemaker on it. For only $19.95, you too can be a peacemaker. <laughs> wearing a shirt that says peacemaker on it does not make me a peacemaker. Putting a Jesus fish on the back of my car does not make me drive like Jesus. That's why there's a a Doctor Who bumper sticker on the back of my car. 
The meme on Facebook I put up occasionally doesn't mean that I am doing what that thing says that I am or I'm being what that thing says that I am. So do you know what you're supposed to wear? Do you know what God tells us to wear? Well, it's found in Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's our memory verse today, right? We're going to clothe ourselves with that. He loves all the people, but you're his chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. So because you're dearly loved, you can have compassion and dearly love others, right? Because you were poor in spirit and shown mercy, you can be merciful and kind and gentle. Children of God clothe themselves with these things. And it's no mistake, he says, clothe yourselves, because you got to do that every day, don't you? You have to choose what you wear every single day. So you got to choose to put this on every single day. This is not automatic. This is not our default button. If you think this is your default, this is how you dress to be a peacemaker. This is how you dress. So in our hearts, we understand that we're supposed to be peacemakers, but practically speaking, how we do that, how we really do that. So first, trust in the Lord. Check. Second, uh, follow his leading. Listen to his Holy Spirit. Check. Third, um, trust in him. Follow his leading. Uh, Oh, act like him. That's a big one. Fourth, Grow in your peacemaking skills because this world is full of conflict and confrontation, right? Something's coming against you. There's something that's making peace hard, right? So we're going to grow in our peacemaking skills. And an excellent resource for this is a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. He is a lawyer. He is a professional uh, mediator, and he is the president of Peacemaking Ministries. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to be an infomercial for this book. Um, because it's all about suggestions on Christ-like reconciliation and methods for resolving conflict. Conflict from your home, family, in business, in church, with strangers. It's all about how to solve conflict. So the first thing Ken says is every time you encounter a conflict, you will inevitably show what you really think of God. That's going to come out. And he describes conflict as an opportunity, which is good news if the idea of confrontation turns your stomach a little bit. He says conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. What a beautiful way to approach our battles. An opportunity to glorify God. He says, remember, sometimes disagreements are not always bad. Sometimes disagreements between people are caused because of differing opinions based on God-given diversity. And in those cases, we should seek unity, not demand uniformity. And then he says, but sometimes conflict can cause a lot of trouble because it's based on poor communication or it comes from sinful attitudes or behaviors. 
And that's where it comes from. And whether that's between two people or two groups of people, it will divide and destroy relationships. That's what conflict wants to do. It wants to divide and destroy relationships. So he has this really great diagram. It's called the slippery slope of conflict. And he says, in general, people respond to conflict in basically two ways, fight or flight. So he describes on the left here, we have the flight response to conflict. And he describes these as the escape responses that are peace faking. They fake peace. It's when you want to avoid the confrontation rather than resolve it. And he says an example of this is denial, pretending something's not happening, right? Escape responses are all about me. It's all about me. Pause to let everyone reflect on how they do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Escape. On the right side, there's fight. And these are attack responses, right? This is when someone cares more about winning than they care about the relationship. And an example of an attack response is assault. And an example of that is when someone wants to use force and intimidation to get their point across. An example of this is gossip or slander. That's verbal assault. Attack responses are all about you. You're this way. You did this. You people think. Pause for the Holy Spirit to reveal in what ways we do this. But here's what the gospel does. The gospel of peace transforms our natural tendencies to fight or flight. Jesus changes us and shows us a third way. Did you know there was a third way? Of course we did. You're the children of God. Of course you do. The peacemaking response is the third way, and it helps us to get to the root of a conflict and restore genuine peace. An example of this is in reconciliation. That's when two parties graciously converse about an offense. They both reveal their contribution, admit what they did to contribute to the conflict, and they both seek forgiveness and ask forgiveness. That's reconciliation. He says there's four G's to peacemaking. I just want to give you these because it's a good head start if this will help you in a situation of your life. The four G's are glorify God. How can I please and honor God in this situation? Number two, get the log out of your eye. How can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to this? Number three, gently restore. How can I lovingly restore others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to the conflict? And then finally, four, go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict? So no matter the person or situation, here's your responsibility. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. Which brings us to those rare situations where it doesn't depend on you and peace is not happening. Okay? So there is a situation where instead of being a peacemaker, you need to be a peace chaser. And here's what a peace chaser is. A peace chaser is a person who removes themselves or others safely away from abusive situations. Right? Abuse is violent and destructive, and it is not a victim's job to mediate, manage, accommodate, or overlook the actions of an abuser. It's not their job. So what does that include? Domestic abuse? Child abuse? Do you guys know Houston is one of the main hubs for human trafficking? That is a form of abuse. There are men and women and children in need of literal rescue. So who, who do we need? We need peace chasers. We need peace chasers. And I recognize this is an uncomfortable subject, but Jesus didn't die a brutal death on a cross for us to be comfortable. Don't confuse the comfort that he brings for you feeling and being comfortable. Because oftentimes, especially when you're being a peace chaser and a peacemaker, it is very uncomfortable to do what God has told you to do. He died to set people free, and he wants us to look like him. So we are to do what he did. He rescues us, and we rescue others. And that's what being like Jesus looks like. So the greatest commandment, the great commission, the Beatitudes, do you know what these are? These are marching orders. God gives us these commands, these marching orders, because he expects his kids to look like him. And God equips us with everything that we need, to be his image bearers and bring his kingdom wherever we go. And Ephesians 6 is a great illustration of that, right? Paul tells us to put on the armor of God. That's what he tells us to bring. And oh, we have such great armor. We have got, we've got righteousness. We have the gospel of peace. We have truth, right? We have, we have faith, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, to pray in the spirit, prayer. We have these seven pieces that make up our spiritual armor, but we're going to focus on the gospel of peace, right? The gospel of peace. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Not the gospel of condemnation. Not the gospel of law. The gospel of peace. And what does that mean? We're ready to bring the good news of God's love and mercy and power. And we remember those things because he did it for us. To redeem reconcile and restore. Redeem, reconcile, and restore. This is what should be on your lips and your fingertips. Redemption, reconciliation, restoration. More than any other people on this planet, Christians as children of the peacemaker should be known for their peace. We should be known for our peace because prioritizing peace, it reduces conflict through grace-filled reconciliation. It preserves relationships through grace-filled conversation. It strengthens the church's witness through grace-filled action. His grace is sufficient for every person. His grace is sufficient for you in every situation. You know, you can be a peacemaker with your kids. 
You can be a peacemaker with your spouse. You can be a peacemaker with your neighbor down the street. You can be a peacemaker with your coworker, with the customer service rep, with the server at the restaurant. The person you disagree with the very most, we're called to be a peacemaker. I want you to think of a face. Just think, don't say it out loud. Think of the face of someone who's a difficult person for you. Think of the situation that you're going through that's stressful or unresolved as I read this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So peacemakers are not peace breakers who attack, and peacemakers are not peace fakers who avoid. Peacemakers act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before God and with others. Peacemakers don't even pick a side. They go to the dividing line of both sides. And they stand there, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they bring grace and unity to a situation and never underestimate the power of grace and unity because that's fertile ground for repentance and restoration. Let's pray. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. May we reflect your love, your grace, your mercy to others. May we see conflict and confrontation and problems as an opportunity to bring you honor and benefit everyone involved. Guide us by your Holy Spirit in your wisdom. Lead us into peacemaking responses that bring you glory and produce unity. May we never react, but may we respond the way you respond to us. You are the peacemaker. Help us to look more like you in every situation, every single day. We depend on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. He is a good God. His grace is sufficient for you. Whatever the person, whatever the situation, whatever the conflict, whatever's happened or going to happen, his grace is sufficient for you. He expects more from us because we're his kid. Everyone say, I am a child of God. Ooh, that means something. It means something every moment of every day. May the peace of God cover you everywhere you go this week, and may you remember your identity as his child and as a peacemaker. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about the podcast and other resources.